Hey folks, Randy Newberg here in beautiful Idaho Falls, Idaho today doing another episode of Leupold's Hunt Talk Radio. And the reason I am in Idaho Falls on this late November day is because I was lucky that my path finally crossed again with Mr. Bo Beatty, the llama <laughs> man of the world. And if you saw our Wyoming elk hunt this year, you know that I am now the biggest fan of llamas. I'm probably a bigger fan of llamas than you are, Bo. <laughs> You're pro- probably a better ambassador for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Um, but anyhow, folks, we're going to talk about llamas, llamas for backcountry hunting, uh, how Bo spends over 100 days a year in the backcountry of the northern Rockies uh, trying to get on a first-name basis with grizzly bears. Uh, yep. <laughs> how, how his uh, llamas respond to that, how you take care of llamas when you're out hunting. And Bo's very modest. He is one of the greatest mule deer junkies I know. And since that's my... If, if I had to measure all my hunting experience, that's where I'm the thinnest in hunting experience. I got a lot of it's elk experience. I got a lot of antelope experience i got a whitetail problem i think we could call it a problem <laughs> a western whitetail problem and uh but mule deer i just i didn't grow up and i did you grow up here in idaho i grew up on the border just just barely into utah okay which is the core of mule deer world big time if, core. if, if you travel to play here's the here's what i call the the world of mule deer junkiness if you want to call it Western Colorado, Western Wyoming, pretty much everywhere south of the panhandle of Idaho, a little bit of eastern Oregon, all of Utah, and pretty much all of Nevada and northern Arizona. People there are wired differently. Yeah. I mean, you could have a 400-inch bull elk walk across the parking lot, and people would be like, ooh, that's a pretty nice elk. But if you had a 180-inch mule deer walk across the parking lot, there'd be a Swiss fight over who got to take yeah, a picture of it. big time. Is that just... I mean, I, I, I'm not a mule deer nut, so I'm trying to figure out the wiring mechanisms you know, here. Of, just growing up with them, seeing I, them? I think so. You know, I remember growing up as a kid, and <clears throat> all the other kids in school, I mean, we actually got opening day of deer hunting rifle season off that should be a state law in every state you know and that I, was i like that idea <laughs> we like that yeah and uh, the kids and i would always talk about their hunts and where they go and their family and it was always about the deer hunt okay. and it was about grandpa shot this buck and dad shot this one and so i mean everything revolved around the deer hunt because okay. everyone did it and participated in it yeah. okay well that would make that that make a good reason for why that core area I just described, if you made a big polygon there, those are the craziest mule deer people I know come from that corridor. Right yeah, there. definitely. And I think a lot of it stems from because people could get tags yeah. for so many years. Yeah. You know, they could always count on going. We're going to go get our venison meat, you know. Right. Even grandma's coming. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, we're going to get into all those kind of things. And and Bo is a borderline. If you've ever hunted with Bo or spent camp with Bo, he can get a weather forecast. You could send him to the moon with a transistor radio and he'd have figured out some way how to get a weather forecast. We're going to talk about weather and mule deer, both short-term and long-term. Because I... 
I think a lot of people, now the results are sort of in about how the hard winter of 2016-17 hammered mule deer, at least in Wyoming, Idaho, maybe a few other places, but... Uh, so we're going to go, and then we're, we're going to talk about anything you want to talk about, Bo. Great. Uh, you've spent a week in a camp with me now, so you've got all kinds of stories, uh, incriminating evidence. Incriminating uh, evidence. Uh, you, you know, hey, Randy is really stupid. If you ever, <laughs> you know, you're going to hear some of these. If you ever saw Randy do this, you'd be scratching your head. Um, but before we do that, we want to talk about the great folks that make this podcast possible. Uh, it is called Leopold's Hunt Talk Radio for a reason. Uh, Leopold supports everything we do um, from you name it, whether it's this podcast, TV show, uh, website, thehunttalk.com forum. Uh, they just say, Randy, get out there, keep promoting the public land, self-guided hunting message, and we got your back. So can't thank them enough. If you're in the, the, the market for optics, I hope that... Uh, you'll lean hard towards Leupold. Great company, great products. Uh, Orion Coolers, uh, I got a whole truckload of them with me right now. I'm on my way to Arizona for uh, a late elk hunt. We're going to be living out of coolers, living in tents. How how many days a year do you end up in a tent, Bo? Um, You know, my wife thinks it's way more than it actually is, but I mean... (laughs) Usually, when you I calculate it all up, it's always over a hundred days in a tent. In a tent. Wow. So yeah, yeah. we when we we're driving back from the sheep hunt the other day, uh, I think we we were debating whether we were at on the road day one hundred or one hundred and one. Wow. But we we thought about only seventy of those were actually tent time. Some travel time. Yeah, travel time and other stuff. I've I've got five days of tents ahead of me here this week and then I'm done tenting yeah. it. It's <laughs> this gets after a while, you know, there, there's this romantic notion about, oh, I'd love to stay in a wall tent. I'd love to go. Yeah. Yeah, that works for about a week. Yeah. <laughs> after about seven, ten days, you're like, you know, where's a motel? Yeah. <laughs> a cabin? <laughs> <laughs> but anyhow, we live out of our Orion coolers. They're great coolers. Uh if you're interested in buying one, and I would suggest you do, it'd be a great Christmas gift for the outdoors person in your family. Uh, go to OrionCoolers.com, and if you use promo code Randy, you're going to get this really cool tumbler that they have. So you get two Christmas gifts for the price of one. Uh, OrionCoolers.com. Uh, on X Maps, uh, I just I think about was there hunting before on X Maps? I'm sure. Well, yeah, there was, but I mean. Especially in Montana, right? Yeah, hunting in the way that I do it, when I hunt a lot of these difficult access areas, checkerboard areas, uh, the number of places I would not hunt or I would not have hunted 10 years ago before that uh, product was available, I would say over half the places I hunt, I wouldn't be hunting if it weren't for... For the Onyx system, and and you can get it. Uh, I'm I'm now a full convert. In the last two years, Marcus has tried to convert me from my old school GPS to my app on my phone, and I will say I'm now converted. I I have seen the light. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> it's. Uh, in fact, I have all those Arizona maps downloaded on my phone because a lot of people are like, well, what if you don't have service? Well, if you download the maps offline. 
you can just put your phone on uh, airplane mode and runs great. GPS is still running. You got all this detail. You got all these layers that, you, that I can't get on my Garmin. So on xmaps.com, uh, it will change the way you approach your hunting. It'll change how you do your applications. Uh, once you use it, you'll say, how did I live without this? Yeah. So use promo code Randy, R-A-N-D-Y, and both thinking, man, he's Everything's Randy around. Everything's Randy. <laughs> <laughs> you need to. Can we name one of your llamas, Randy? Can I? Can I get like naming rights? I mean, maybe AT and T uh, Stadium, U.S. Bank Stadium. Well, yeah, I mean, we'll name a pod of llamas the Randy team. There you go. What, what's that going to cost me? Can, do I get? To, That's a good question. <clears throat> you know, we, I said uh, when we get further into this, I'm going to tell you the idea that Leopold had for your llamas. Oh, it, that's it, exciting. Yeah, it, it'll crack up. Uh, but anyhow, go to gohunt.com, use promo code Randy, and you're going to get 20% off all their app products. So, wow. again, another Christmas idea for you. It is what? It's what are they? So they have Black Friday, Cyber, Cyber Monday. Monday, and what's t- what, today's Tuesday? What, what's the Tuesday version? On X Maps, twenty percent off Tuesday. Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> Randy, Randy promo code Tuesday. <laughs> Randy promo code Tuesday. I like that. Uh, and uh, we we can't talk about uh, applications coming up. We're going to touch on some of that because I'm trying to convince Bo to burn all of his points. This guy's been building points for quite a while now, and. Uh, I'm ready. Uh, I, I'd really like to spend more time hunting with him and his llamas. So uh, well, the, the thing that's going to help him burn those points is the subscription to GoHunt.com, their insider. I've spent all the Thanksgiving weekend research. I'm already researching next year's season. That's crazy, isn't it? You know, you have an addiction. You're trying to f- fuel it, you know. <laughs> I get it. Uh, yeah, my wife calls it a sickness. Maybe sickness and addiction are the same thing, but gohunt.com has all of the key western states that traveling hunters are interested in. It has unit by unit analysis. It has over the counter analysis, general tag, uh, all the units. I mean, from the glory units down to the, the general units. It has percent of public land versus private land. And what's really critical in the application period is they have the most accurate, the best nailed it kind of bullseye draw odds of any service out there. There is no website that has the draw odds that GoHunt has. So if you sign up for their insider and you use promo code Randy, you're going to get a $50 credit in their gear shop. And they don't carry knickknacks and pantyhose. They carry serious <laughs> Western backpack hunting gear. You know, you walk into some of these sporting goods stores, it's like, well, you're selling cashews and, uh, you know, gummy bears. Catfishing poles. Yeah. It's like, are you a hunting store? What's the deal here, man? Yeah. False advertising. Right. But anyhow, not at Go Hunt. Their gear shop is serious stuff. If it doesn't work, it's not going to end up in their gear shop. So... There you have it, folks. Use promo code Randy for anything I talk about, and the odds are you're going to get some sort of benefit. <laughs> so, Bo, you are... So, folks, a little background. Bo lives here in Idaho Falls or somewhere outside Idaho Falls. Yep. He met me here at the Hilton Garden Inn. We, 
we're we're not doing this at, in a camp, just so people know. Yeah, so I don't little, want them to think a little we're... more fancy than I'm used to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's there's we you didn't have to wake up and break the frost off the water jug or anything like that. But <clears throat> Ted Bo, did fall in on us at night. What's yeah yeah. What Bo made reference to there is we were in the backcountry of Wyoming. He came in with his llamas and shared the hunt with us. And what was it, the third night when that blizzard struck and your, I think so. your wall tent in the center pole broke? Yep. Yeah. I was in my Hilleberg and I hear this commotion. <laughs> I am like, there a bear over there? What <laughs> is going on? <laughs> and I just hear this hitting and slapping and going and carrying on. I fell back asleep. And then I hear some more noise about a half hour later. Wake up and the center post on Bo's wall tent had collapsed. And he went out in the woods in the dark and cut himself a... You got yourself a nice lodgepole pine or something yep. there, didn't you? Yep. <clears throat> that was the only option. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it worked better than that it did. aluminum one that broke on you. Yeah. Since then, I've decided that I'm going to start, I'm just going to design my own tent. Are you? Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> you're going to cut your posts when you're out there in the hills? Maybe. Or haul them in? Cut them. Okay. Well, <clears throat> one of the things that we quickly learned, how many llamas? You brought seven llamas, didn't you, Bo? Yep. Yeah. I think we did have seven. So we went into the Wind River Range, and I was telling the camera crew, I'm like, dude, Michael, Marcus, you guys got to pack light, light, light. And Bo shows up, meets us in Pinedale, and I'm looking at this string of llamas, and I am like, whoa, I can bring, I could probably bring Dairy Queen in with this <laughs> stuff, man. <laughs> and uh, if you share a camp with Bo and his llamas, it's a pretty luxurious camp compared to what we're accustomed to. But when you spend a hundred and some days a year back there, you probably have figured out where the value of weight versus comfort yeah. is. <clears throat> yeah. You definitely, you know, learn what works well for you anyway, you know, and yeah. what you can depend upon. Yeah. The backcountry is not the place to find out what you can't depend upon. Do you, have, do you ever have gear failures? Oh, yeah. I mean, when I first started, it was gear failure after gear failure. And it was mostly because <laughs> I was shopping at Walmart, you know. I didn't have any money. Uh, nothing and, wrong uh, about with Walmart if you had saved some money, but it's not the place known to get you the best yeah, backcountry gear. Yeah, and it gets you by, but <clears throat> what I realized is that stuff needed to last more than a season yeah. and more than two seasons. And yeah, it's an investment, it's not an, an investment. expense. Yep, exactly. <clears throat> and it takes a while to accumulate gear that you trust. And yeah, yeah, but lots of gear failure. Yeah. Well, we were all taking serious notes about what we were seeing around your camp and in your pack and other stuff. <laughs> because we were like, well, we know this is one of those guys who's been there, done it, seen it, had it, broke it, fixed it. Those are the kind of people you take notes about. Yeah. Uh, a good friend of mine, Brian Martin, owns, uh, used to own Canadian Mountain Outfitters. Oh, and cool. now, now he owns Asian Mountain Outfitters. And the guy lives out of a backpack. Really? And I've always paid close attention to what Brian uses. And if, if you look at my pack, my gear, my... You'll, it's almost, a, it's a scaled down version of the Brian Martin package. Nice. And so now you, if you see like what we're going to show up with next year, it's going to be the slightly scaled down version of the Bo Beatty package. 
No, you. I hope that the video, and it's out on our YouTube channel, paints some picture about how llamas can change what your mind has about what a backcountry hunt has to be. I mean, it, it was still, you know, exerting getting back there. Oh, yeah. But when you can put most, of, especially with our production gear, on top of all of our food and camp gear and everything else, when you can lessen that load and you know when you're coming out, you got some help. Oh, you, yeah. It's not whether or not your buddy is hunting that day. You're not calling somebody. It's like, hey. Marshall, let's do this. <laughs> Come on over here, buddy. <laughs> let's get this saddle on you. Yeah, but it for us anyhow it was a game changer. It definitely is. You know, I think lately I've been thinking a lot about time. You know, and people have usually are cramped. No one has an abundance of time. No, that's the rarest commodity in life. I think. And when you go to the backcountry, you've got four or five, maybe seven or ten days, and if you're hunting elk. Or if you're hunting deer long ways away, you know, four to eight miles, whatever that may be. A lot of people think that <clears throat> on their first backcountry hunt, and I get a lot of first backcountry hunters, and I love to, you know, help in any way I can, answer questions, help with logistics, gear planning, et cetera. Yeah. And uh, you're not going to go elk hunt for five days and shoot an elk on the last day. And expect okay. to be to work Monday morning and get it up. <laughs> no. <laughs> and you're not, not going to do it on the fourth day especially right. if you're solo hunting or even if you're with a pair of guys. Right. It can't be done. And so llamas allow you to hunt longer into your hunt. Mm -hmm. You could actually hunt the, to the very last moment of the very last day and take one trip with two llamas and get almost anything out. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, it becomes this opportunity to actually hunt longer. And then also, you know, if you're in a September hunter, which a lot of people are, mm -hmm. we were archery we, hunt in September or yeah. rifle hunt in the Wind Rivers in September. Yeah, a lot of times the weather is such that if you harvest something, you're very skeptical about the opportunity to get it out without any spoilage. Spoilage, yeah. And uh, that kind of avoids that for the most part. Yeah. You know. So when you were talking about this, I I'm sure the very first thought that went through the mind of of uh, a listener when you said, you know, you could carry this, you could carry that, is how much can an adult packing llama carry comfortably? That's a good question. So an adult trained pack llama, you should expect them to carry at least 20% of their body weight. And okay. that's kind of speaking, of, you know, llamas across the board, but the llamas that we're breeding are, you big. know, they're, they're in their exception. They're really athletes. They're yeah. big, they're <laughs> they strong. Are. They're muscular, yeah, um, very athletic. We expect them to carry at all times eighty pounds. Wow, that yeah. includes their saddle and pannier. <clears throat> nope, that doesn't include that. That would that we consider all the that we consider that the rigging, the saddle, okay. the blanket, the straps, and all these things. The panniers. Okay. So on top of that, on top of that, we expect them to, to carry just a straight flat eighty pounds. That's wow. forty aside. Mm-hmm. That is cool. And, and you, when he says forty aside, folks, Bo has a scale. And he is measuring to the pound to balance it out. <clears throat> I saw sometimes you didn't have anything that quite balanced it out. So you put a rock in one side to add an extra pound or two. So it was balanced. So, yeah. yeah. 
if you can be within <clears throat> one pound, you know, things are going to go well, especially in, you know, tough terrain. Yeah. Yep. So we're going to, uh, while we're on this, uh, and I'm, my mind is going back to us sitting in the tent and waiting out some of those blizzards. <laughs> and I got more about the history of llamas just because I was so curious. You probably got annoyed with me asking so many questions. No, I like it. It, <clears throat> it is remarkable and fascinating about llamas because a lot of people think, oh, I'm just driving down some rural highway and it says llama for sale. I'm yep. going to stop and buy that thing and man, I'm set up for the backcountry. Yep, you got a backcountry expert. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so when you said your llamas are athletes, that it's, I would say that llamas are a lot like humans. There are some who are athletic and there are some who are accountants like me <laughs> <laughs> who drive a desk for a living. Uh, your llamas are, uh, you breed them for your sole purpose of what you use them for. Yep, exactly. For commercial outfitting. You yeah. know, high performance. And high so output. they're going to be, you're talking about, you look for certain traits of where they're muscled, big shoulders. What, what is it that you want in a mountain llama, a packing llama? You as, know, as compared to the guy who just has one out in the pasture because they're cool. That's a, that's a great question. Um, we're looking for animals. If you kind of just say a general trait, we're looking for athletic animals, you know, and there's animals, if you look at, a lot of times llamas are compared to basketball players, you know, yeah. when, the, when the llama breeders, the, the, you know, little co-op of us get together and we talk about it, it's always reference to athletes, you know? <laughs> yeah. So like this one, he's built like a running back, yeah. you know, this one, he's built like Michael Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're trying to have, um, the LeBron James llamas, super tall, super uh -huh. muscular, very athletic, uh -huh. um, that's the ideal. That's what I'm breeding for. And what that means is an animal at the top of the shoulder, which they call the withers, mm -hmm. we're looking for a target of 48 inches, which is hard to do. Four feet. Four at, feet. At the top of the At the wither. top of the shoulder. Yep. So. And that puts these animals, you know, about 70 to 75 inches at the top of the head. So a little over six feet. You're looking at them eye to eye. Eye to eye. Yeah. Yep. And their wool is typically two to four inches and they're called short wool llamas or caras most yeah. of the time they're referred to as caras and how do you how do you spell that C in america we spell it c-c-a-r-a -A. okay and uh in north america or south america in peru they're going to spell it k-a-r-a -A, okay which means without wool and so the inca bred these these pack llamas for over six thousand years if you uh -huh. go to peru and look at some of the caves and study some of the stuff they have there, they're actually carbon date um, llama drawings of over 7,000 years. Wow. And so the Inca culture had these llamas and specifically bred certain llamas for meat, certain llamas for wool, and certain llamas for packing. Well, the, okay. the kind of the Taj Mahal of the, of the, you know, the pillar in the community was if you owned llamas used for packing. Really? Yep. And the, the ruler of the Inca culture had 15,000 llamas, pack llamas, or caras, when uh, they were conquered. And the first thing that... 15,000. 15,000 caras, yep, pack yeah. llamas. And when they conquered, the first thing the conquistadors did was uh, kill the 15,000 llamas. And so really? that was kind of the beginning of the fall of the Inca civilization. But point being is that llamas were specifically bred for packing for thousands of years it's uh -huh. it's simply in their dna and okay. once you you and we have a, just over 140 llamas now and uh 
I, I've done my research and calculation and did a big project. It took me about four years, and I calculate there to be less than 4,000 caras in North America today. Really? And there's over 200,000 camelids, you know, llamas and alpacas and all these things. So out of the 200, what do you call them, camelids? Because they're yeah. related to camels, right? They're related to camels. So <clears throat> a, lot of, a lot of times like a vet or, you know, people that are in the industry will call, you know, refer to them as a, you know, base population of camelids. Okay. Whether that's llamas or that's alpacas or it's a certain breed of llama. Okay. But uh, yeah, 200,000 um, plus camelids in North America Okay. today. And 4,000 of them are Cara yep. pack llamas. Right around 4,000. <clears> so uh, you got 4,000 LeBron Jameses and 196,000 <laughs> Randy Newbergs. <laughs> <laughs> no one's ever going to confuse me for, for LeBron James. Ooh, I guess so. I, I just can't, just to put, the, put that to rest, you know, I, I want people to understand. Okay. I, don't, I don't think I'm like the LeBron James of the, of the hunting world. But your llamas are, I mean, unbelievable athletes. I mean, with full loads, we saw them climbing over deadfall, going up nasty, slippery, wet, snowy, greasy slopes. I, I just, it was such an eye-opener to me. I I know you're tired of me hounding you. Hey, Bo, <laughs> can you get llamas to here? Hey, Bo, can you do this, can you do that. So, but so you've got 140. How many of them do you rent out? 52. 52 are available for rent, minus the six that I get next season. <laughs> yeah. So you're gonna have 46 available for next season. Yeah, and that number is going to continue to increase, you know, every year. We'll bring on, actually, that's not true. We're going to bring on 13 new ones this year. 13 new ones. On top of our 52. Okay, so you'll have 65 next year. Yep. So give or take the five or six that I'm, I'm going to rent for a good part of this season. So yep. now your scarcity is, is you're back to the supply and demand thing. Yeah. You need to raise your fees. Bo is over here like, no, I'm not good at raising my fees. I'm not good The at accountant it. and Randy is like, Bo, you're giving this away. So I see, I'm, we're going to be all over the map on llamas here. What If someone says, Bo, I want to rent your llamas, what's that package include and how would they, I mean, I mean you deliver them? Do they pick them up? What, what if I, from the point I call you on the phone to when I bring your llamas home from the trip or you pick them up? How does that work? Sure. I call it a discovery period. So when you call me, I do my best to figure out, okay, in a general sense, where are you going? What time of year are you going? How many people are you going with? <clears throat> you know, what are you anticipating? Are you, are you hunting elk? Are you hunting deer? Okay, how many miles? Great. And so once we calculate that and you kind of tell me a little bit more about your plan and I kind of tell you a little bit more about llamas, we kind of draw up, okay, Randy, you need two llamas. And once we discover what you need, then we say, okay, how are you going to transport them? Let's say you're hunting close to Idaho Falls or in Wyoming somewhere, and mm -hmm. uh, we can deliver to almost any private land location, you know, whatever that means. Yeah. And let's say that, you know, it's easier for you to just drop by the house. I say, yeah. okay, so you're going to need two llamas. That's $50 a day per llama, and that includes... That's ridiculous. All their, sa their saddle, everything that they need, the scale, the brush, everything that they need, halter lead ropes, stakeouts, everything. You okay. just got to show up 
and I'm going to take care of you. They're, they're fully equipped. Fully equipped. So, folks, he said $50 a day. By the time I'm done working him over, it's going to be more than $50 a day. <laughs> that is so ridiculously cheap. <laughs> okay, let's go. So, discovery period's over. We've got you figured out. Now we decide you're going to drive to our ranch location. And let's say you've never packed your llamas before. Right. So we want to teach you how to pack with them. We want to go through what we call Llama Clinic 101. Yep. It usually takes three to four hours. We have a, enough ground at our place that we can actually, you know, show you how to catch them, show you how to halt them. Let's put the, you know, the harness over mm-hmm. their nose and their head and uh, how to saddle them, how to work with them, pros and cons, um, answer all your questions. And actually we'll go on a hike with them. Mm-hmm. You, me, and a llama. Okay. We're going to go on a hike. We're going to show you how to load them in and out of the trailer, everything, and answer all your questions until the point that you feel comfortable. Usually takes between the time you get there and the time you leave three to four hours. Okay. Sounds to me like we need a YouTube video about this. Sounds great. Don't you think? Yeah. Mark, Marcus needs to come down here and film they have Llama to. Intro 101 with Bo. Yeah. Okay. We've done so many of them. It's very scripted now. You know, v- video. There's so many videos you've or, done. No, or, so or, many uh, uh, clinics. Clinics. Okay, yeah. that's what I was thinking. I enjoy the clinics because people surprisingly still people ask me questions I haven't heard before. Really? And I, I think wow. it's intriguing to me. Uh huh. So now we've done the clinic. You're at the ranch, and we decide, okay, Randy, do you need a trailer? Because we have lots of horse trailers we can rent you. They're thirty dollars a day. And they weigh two thousand to twenty five hundred pounds. Thirty dollars a day for the trailer is all. Yep. And we have the light plugs, the drop pitches, so everything works. And we send it on your way. And or you say, Okay, I've got a Randy has a shell on his Nissan if you guys haven't yeah. noticed that in his videos. Let's say that you don't have that shell and yeah. we throw a stock rack. You know, it sticks right. out of the top of the bed and we actually jump the llamas into the bed of your truck two llamas will fit in almost any bed yeah and away you go yeah you're gonna get lots of stairs driving down the freeway but you do so after we left you my buddy wade down in arizona he brought his two llamas on an elk hunt with us yeah and he (laughs) trailers not trailers them he he has a toyota tacoma with the the stock Stock rack rack. you're talking about and they lay down in the back and I'm following him as we're driving in, <laughs> and everybody sees these two llamas, big necks, laying in the back of his little oh, Toyota yeah. Tacoma. The looks on their faces were hilarious. Oh, yeah. But So no, you have trailer options, which, again, that price has to increase, too. Okay. So, <laughs> so folks, in my other life, I'm a CPA, and part of my job is to make sure that people are maximizing their revenue. So I'm leaning on Bo that you got to quit giving this stuff away. And when he told me what the price was last year, I'm like, that's pitiful. That, that's, that, that's, that's criminal. I'm going to have to, I'm not Catholic, but I'm going to have to go to confession for stealing this from you if that's all you're going to charge me. So don't be saying prices, Bo, because I, I'm going to be, okay. I, I'm going to be nudging these prices along. And those of you listening, you better act soon before Bo changes his mind. All right, that disclaimer. You should talk to my wife. She's really good at changing my mind. And Real, well, all money. wives are good at changing yeah. our mind, right? <laughs> hey, honey, I'm going hunting today. Oh, you are, huh? Yeah. They didn't, yeah, right there, just the way they said it. Change your mind, right? Yep. Okay. But anyhow, so they uh, that comes with the trailer. They, they can 
take off either with the trailer or if they don't have a topper shell like I do. Stock rack. Or we can do delivery. Oh, so, you'll do delivery too. Yep. That's got you now don't tell me you that's free. No, it's definitely not okay. free. Okay. All right. We just charge per mile basically okay. from our location. <clears throat> okay. And we have you know, operating operating areas besides Idaho Falls mm-hmm. that that would become the location. Let's say, you know, we got we have one in Helena, Montana. Yeah. Let's say that you're going to go somewhere around that area. So Augusta or somewhere. Augusta. Yeah. Yep. That would Lincoln. be the that would be the locations okay. that we would you know send people to. Okay. And same thing in Utah and in Wyoming. We have locations that are closer than just Idaho Falls. Yeah. Which I think is probably the one thing that we're trying to get out to people now. Mm-hmm. Is that they can if they're coming to the west more often than not we have a location close to where they're hunting. Yeah, within a couple hours for sure. Yeah, well by the time we're done promoting you both, you're going to need more than sixty five llamas. <laughs> I'm working on it. <laughs> <laughs> you need to get those llamas going. Okay, you got it. We're breeding. <clears throat> yeah, we're, we'll be breeding forty females this spring. Okay, and what that means is, you know, llamas are have a gestation period of eleven and a half months typically. Really? Wow. And so we breed in the spring, and then next year, they're you know, born. We'll, they're born. Yep. Yeah. And we try to. So we're going to breed forty females this year, and we bred thirty-seven last year. Okay. And I'm anticipating that we have thirty plus. Kriya, that's what they call young llamas when they're born. It's what are they called? Kriya. C-R-I-A. Kriya. Wow. Okay. Like a spelling bee, Kriya. Yeah. I, like a, I'm, I appreciate that you spell this stuff out because for me, my mind would be... That's I, how mine, I, my mind works. Okay, so. good. We're on the same page here. So you'll have that many. And how long do... At what age do you bring them into the, the packing business? So... I mean, they really don't start making money or generating income until typically six years old. Six, okay. Yep. But they'll go out and do a lot of stuff before then. But okay. trustworthy, you know, proven, ready to rock and roll, six years old. Okay. Sometimes, wow. Sometimes so you've seven. got a huge investment in these by the time. Absolutely. How many of us would invest in a business asset? Knowing that it's going to be six years before it generates any money. Not very many. <laughs> Not very many. You got to be passionate about it, you know? Yeah. And that I, I can assure you folks that when you talk to Bo, whether it's on the phone, in person, in a camp, passion about the whole idea of llama used for hunting, you, you have a high level of passion for that, Bo. I would surely hope so. It comes across, <laughs> definitely. So... I've said, all right, Bo, I want a trailer. Uh, I'm going to head out. You're going to tell me good luck. See you on whatever day. Is that, or you, you, am I going to have to check in with you? Am I, no, any? no need to check in. You know, we rent out our in-reach devices to people. And right. so they can communicate with us if they feel the need. Yep. Otherwise, you know, um, we've only ever had one real issue in, you know, six, seven years of doing this. Yeah. And the, uh, I think it's because it's not because we're really good business people or the our people that are renting llamas are super great backcountry knowledgeable type people that have been doing it for years. It's the llamas. Yeah. The llamas know the drill. Yeah. And if people simply follow the cardinal rules that we teach them, they're going to have a great trip. Yeah. I never ever doubt they're not going to have a great trip. Yeah. You know, something might go awry and they're going to have some kind of adventure or, you know, some, some, cool story to come back and say, well, this happened and we figured out how to do this. Like, yeah, perfect. Great yeah. job. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
Well, <clears throat> your llamas, when the other part of Bo's business is he's doing summer pack trips. Because when we showed up in September, you told me that Marshall already had 500 miles of work that season, that or, season or some yeah. number like that. Yep, exactly. And I'm like, wow, that's a lot of hunting for September. And then you're like, <laughs> no, no, Randy, he's been doing backcountry fishing and just tours and, and other stuff. Yep. So your llamas, uh, they are already, it, it's not preseason when you pick them up. Let's put it that way. Yeah, it's, they're, it's they're already in end. playoff mode. Yep, they're in playoff mode. Exactly. That's a great way to put it, <laughs> playoff mode. <laughs> but they, they are ready to go. And uh, it, so if someone wanted to do one of your pack trips, same thing. Say they wanted to go backcountry fishing. That's the thing we didn't get to do up in the Wind Rivers. Everyone tells me it's some of the best backcountry fishing in North America. Yeah, it's pretty pretty outstanding. And uh, we didn't even bring a fishing rod. Yeah. Well, so, the lake was ice over almost. So. almost. <laughs> so if we wanted to go back and do that in the summer, same drill? Same, same drill. Thing? Yep, it's the exact <laughs> same. And we're getting a lot of families, you know, hunters that, you know, I freaking love hunters. They're so funny, you know, like, oh, uh, I want to hunt this new area in Wyoming in, uh, you know, in September, but I'm going to go scout in July and I'm going to bring my wife and kids. Right. And so what they like <laughs> calling their wives and kids to go into their hunting area in July that they're going to hunt in September to scout, right. you know, and they rent the llamas and they make it this big adventure and it's awesome. Mm-hmm. They have a great camping trip. Yeah. And, uh, I really like that people are doing that, you yeah. know, and I totally do stuff like that with my family. Always conning my wife into going hunting areas <laughs> in the summer. <laughs> and, uh, Kirsten is her name, right? Yep. All right. So if she's listening to this podcast, you just spilled some of the beans though. Well, she sees through it man you know <laughs> so do all the other wives out there they know that's right. but that's uh that's something that's becoming really popular which i love i love families getting out in there getting out in the back country whether it's a two mile hike into a lake with a young family or it's a five day you know round loop trip you know right. in the wind rivers yeah. or hiking the cdt whatever so that's becoming a big deal and a lot of people are using for backcountry fishing you know, yeah. there's a few groups of, you know, backcountry enthusiasts that want to go fish these high mountain lakes, like in the white clouds of Idaho, right. the Sawtooth, the Wind Rivers, early season. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just outstanding. I'm, yeah. I'm all about that. And then uh, a lot of people are doing, you know, rock climbing or mountaineering and need to get back somewhere and base camp for a few days, okay. but have a ton of gear. Right. So that's the rental operation in the summer, but <clears throat> our big, our big, you know, operations that we do in the summer is the fully outfitted trips okay where we take people on we provide the transportation you know from the airport and hotel to you know our trailhead we provide all their meals their backpacks sleeping bags tents trekking poles a guide the trip itinerary and we can go in yellowstone the tetons out of jackson hole the national parks are down in utah you know we have permits and operating um, permits in all these areas and uh so they just show up at the Idaho Falls Airport. Or Jackson Hole. Wherever. Yeah, you or Bozeman. <clears throat> you pick them up, and they don't have to worry about anything until they, they just need to bring their boarding passes about it. Yep, and a few of the personal items, but yeah. the rest of it, 
<clears throat> they don't need any hiking gear, you know, do besides you, their personal items. You provide tents, sleeping bags, everything, and you cook all the meals? Yep, cook all the meals, trekking poles, yep, the whole thing. <laughs> Tell me that's more than $50 a day, please. <laughs> it is. Because if that's not more than $50 a day, I'm hiring you for the entire season. Yep, it's definitely more. Okay. <laughs> okay. And but, I, I really like that because we meet people from all over the world. Yeah, I bet and, you do, especially in that, the areas you mentioned of... The greater Yellowstone area, the backcountries of Idaho, the, the Utah National Park areas. Is that, are you down in like Zion and Bryce and Capitol Reef and Capitol all that? Reef, yep, and Fish Lake and Dixie <coughs> National Forest. Okay. Those are places that I bet you encounter a lot of people who, how do I say it, uh, haven't been exposed to someone who's as much of a hunting crazy as you are. Yeah, you know, and you're absolutely right. So you get to be our ambassador, Bo. Yep. And people, it's a big time, you know, opportunity to talk to people, yeah. you know, because, you know, if I showed up as the guide on these trips, these summer trips and wore, you know, my Sitka camel, yeah. I mean, people would just start grilling me and they take this, you know, this offensive approach to right. our trip. So I don't do that. Yeah. I just wear normal hiking clothes or Sitka in solid, right? Yeah, right. And yeah. then we start talking about it, you know, and I, we're having protein. A lot of times I'll take, you know, elk or deer or, you know, buffalo or something that somebody's harvested or I've harvested on these trips. And then people are like, oh, this is lean organic meat. This is awesome, you know. Yeah. And then we start talking about, you know, conservation, you know, public lands and the opportunity that my family makes a living off of public lands by outfitting. Yeah. And we also feed our family, though we don't need to. We have means to do it other ways. Yeah. This is how we choose to. Right. My wife, the other day, she's like, uh, we don't have any elk burger left. Because she gave it all away. Oh. And, and I'm like, we are not buying meat. <laughs> you know? And the thought of it, just like turmoil inside my chest. Like, I am not doing this. So I call so, my little brother. like, give me some of your elk meat. So do you need some elk meat? I'm set now. Oh, okay. Because I was going to say, well, on our Wyoming trip, when the blizzard came and we were afraid we were going to get snowed out. Oh, yeah. And because we were leaving right away for another trip and I didn't want to miss that day. I kind of, I probably pulled the pin sooner than I had to, but... I still have that cow tag. Oh. So if you're lacking elk meat, I'm not lacking meat because my son shot a moose this year. <laughs> yeah. And, and I've shot two antelope, a whitetail. Uh, I'm, I'm not lacking meat, but if you were lacking meat, we oh, could probably go on a range filling that elk, Wyoming elk tag. It's open until January 31st. Just, I would definitely just do that. Just throwing that out there. I would do that. You know, I've been so. bottling my meat. Once I get the freezer full, yeah, I've been bottling it and then doing you know salamis and stuff and yeah. bottle canned meat, bottled meat, it's outstanding. I finally got my wife hooked. Really? Yeah, last for shelf life five years. You know, yeah. easy to cook, super fast to repair. We've been building fence at our ranch. Yeah, and uh, that's how we've been feeding everybody. Okay, bottled elk meat. Really? Yeah. For lunch. we might have to come and do a video on that also because I've never had bottled meat. It yeah, it's. Especially if you know how to do it and you kind right. of have your favorites. Right. If you give, if I were to give you one of my favorite, you know, recipes or yeah, whatever, you, you would, you'd be very happy, really? very pleased. And then you don't have to have freezer space. And I did yeah. it all through college because you don't have freezer space. Yeah. You know, you five guys are sharing this little <laughs> tiny, you know, one foot by two foot space. You're like, where are we gonna put an elk? Right. So uh -huh. use the bottling method. Uh -huh. <laughs> so. 
I, I diverted us from the, the topic at hand. Yeah, sorry. I, but no, I, I'm trying to remember where we were. We were talking about hunting and I, taking people on these summer trips. Those are your summer trips, yeah. So you do that. If somebody listening said, hey, that sounds cool, I'd like to take my family to Yellowstone or, what, I mean, the Jedediah or what, what all the sure. cool places. They just get a hold of the bow, and is this the time of year when you're booking those trips? Yep. Yeah, well, we book starting like October for the next season. So yeah. October, November, December, all the way into the early spring. Yeah. Yep. So if your pricing on that is as ridiculously low as your pricing on everything else, folks, you should take your family with bow. So you must have guides. You can't be doing all this with no. all these llamas. No, you got, you got some guides. really high quality guides that yep. will lead groups. Yeah, we have in each of these places. You know, I typically I don't brag. Well, I probably brag more than I should, but uh, <laughs> you definitely don't make it all. make it a point not to. But our guys are really outstanding. Yeah, I mean, very very seldom could you have an employee or a, or you know know of a company that you could recommend and say yes, go and do this. Yeah, if I were to recommend my best friend or my family, I would say okay, go with. If you're not going to go with me, go with this guide. And yeah. we have guides that are like that. So yeah. people, they have such a great time. And the guides, the llamas are 25% of it. Yeah. The, the experience in coming on the you know the trip in the country is 50% of it, and the guide is the other 25%. Okay. And sometimes the guide can be 30 40% of the really? experience. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They're, they're almost natural historians. They are just spectacular the interpretation of the floor the fauna the history their cooking you know these exotic meals that they plan and prepare uh, yeah you told me you made a birthday cake in the backcountry for Lantani's Lan daughter Lantani's daughter yeah <laughs> I actually looked at the picture last night and I sent it to Land via oh, yeah. email I was like Land remember this you know oh cool yeah that That's was pretty, pretty good cool. when you can cook a birthday cake in the backcountry fresh yeah it was uh, my wife helped me dream that one up that was fun Huh. So <clears throat> that's that's just to me, folks. Uh, I, so backing up, I'm already looking at Wyoming, Arizona, Nevada, Utah application season, and I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, and Marcus and Michael, my production crew, can confirm this. <laughs> that the places that were possibilities when we applied last year is a much smaller list than what our possibilities of where we will apply this year because of your llamas. Cool. Absolutely. Between geographic, extension of geographic possibilities and extension of my health possibilities, llamas have extended my backcountry elk hunting career by at least 10 years. At least 10. And That's awesome. No, it, it just... And I'm sure it comes, and people have told me when they've watched our YouTube videos on that hunter, like, Randy, this, you have this look and this enthusiasm, like, this is real. This is a, a game changer for you. And I tell them, yeah, it is. I, I'm that sincere about how it is. And since then, we, you know, we always have the, the person who's like, well, I used llamas or my, you know, my brother's cousin's co-worker has llamas <laughs> and you know there's all these rumors out there they're incorrigible and they're spitting and whining and blah 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 and maybe you brought your seven most behaved llamas i don't know maybe 
that you told them if you don't behave right on TV, we're gonna, <laughs> we're, you're not gonna get to pack anymore this year. I don't know what you did, but I could not believe how highly trained they were, how gentle, docile, and low maintenance they were. So a daily, let, let's just walk through what it maybe a daily or a weekly maintenance schedule is for those llamas because sure. when we were back there. It's like, I, I've been with guys with horses and I, oh, yeah, I understand why people love horses. I mean, they're big, they, they, they can Powerful. carry a lot. Yeah. But I look at the maintenance side of horses and I look at how many people wreck <laughs> with horses every year. And, right. and some of the places I go, I'm not riding a horse up and down some of that stuff. And people are like, well, just walk them. Well, I get that. Right. But I've seen people have just some <laughs> pretty serious horse wrecks. <laughs> where it's not really bad country. So that's nothing against horses. Part of that is my complete ignorance of horses. They know I don't like, <laughs> they, they know I don't like being on their back. Let's somehow they can read that. Is that, is that true? I mean, you've been around horses yeah, all your life Animals have too. amazing ability to sense things like that. Yeah. There's I mean, no doubt. If, if I had horses and I hunted back country with horses, either the horse would die of neglect because <laughs> I don't know how to take care of them or I would die because I'm such a nervous Nelly on top of them. They, they run me underneath limbs and up against trees and the guy, the horse owner is like, get control of that thing. I'm like, yeah, tell me that this thing weighs 1,800 pounds and this is where he wants to go. Oh, funny. Don't have that problem with your llamas, at least the seven well-behaved ones I saw. Well, you say that and I'm just like, well, here's something that, a little piece of the puzzle that you might not know is that I brought two llamas that have never been on a commercial pack trip before. Yeah. Of two of the seven. Two of the seven. Yeah. Were Tokyo? No. Nope. No. Uh, Jacoby and yeah. uh, um, Doc Holiday. Doc Holiday. Yeah. I want Doc, man. Doc and Marshall. Doc's just a four-year-old. And we didn't put this on the YouTube, and I don't really know if I told you, but Doc had never, ever seen a dead animal before. Yeah. And he packed out Marcus's elk. Right. He never seen one on the ground. He never smelled the meat. He never smelled the blood. I mean, never. Right. And so what you saw on camera was, and this is for livestock people, horse people, is an animal that's never seen a dead animal or never packed meat before, and that's how they responded. I mean, you could, you didn't even know. You remember him going up and smelling, smelling it, trying it, to figure out, what's, this, there, what's yeah. this going on, you know? Yeah. didn't even really care. Right. So, so a little background, though. Your family thinks you're nuts because oh, yeah. they're all horse people. 100%. You, you grew up in a horse world. So it's yep. not like you're trying to pit the llama world against the horse world. No, absolutely you, not. You, you have... Compared to our listeners, you've got more horse experience than probably ninety-five percent of them. Yeah, I mean, that was a, we rode horses every day. Yeah, you know, in the winter, in the summer, in the spring, in the fall, with the cattle, with the rodeo, with the outfitting, and the hunting. I mean, all the time, horses, yeah. mules, half drafts, yeah. the whole program. So I, I just provide that background so that people don't think, oh, Bo's here to to bang on horses. No, and I respect horses a lot, you know, yeah. and I see them for what they are. Yeah. But even my dad, when I was growing up, we'd be up in the Wellsville mountain range and, you know, coming out of, you know, Moss Rock Canyon or something. And I'd be walking my horse and he'd look back and he'd get, he'd say, what are you doing? It's like, I'm walking, get on that horse. Horses are meant to be rode, you know? <laughs> and I was like, I just want to walk. I just always would rather walk. Yeah. And it drove my family, especially my dad, nuts, you know? <laughs> and uh, it's just always been who I am. Yeah. 
you know? And, well, so a couple of things that then come to mind as in, I say this horses versus llamas, not because I want to pit one against the other, but people are kind of familiar. A lot of people at least have some general idea of what's required to take care of a horse on a hunt. Some of the horror stories we hear about, boy, if you shoot near, don't shoot near that horse. Yeah. All hell's going to break loose. Or, <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, we, we can we can put camp on this horse, but we can't put any dead meat on him or right. stuff like that. This or that. This one can't be rode, and this one can, and this one can only be rode, and this one can only be packed. Right. Yeah. So we, we leave the trailhead, and I, I'm like, how did you fit that much stuff in that truck and that trailer, Bo? Yeah, we loaded it up, didn't we? Yeah. So we got seven llamas, and I am—I got a smile like a ripple on a <laughs> slop pail, man. It is from side to side. I am walking, leading le- these llamas. I, I am thinking to myself, Randy, you have just hit the jackpot, man. It, if you would have offered me the winning lottery ticket or that week with those llamas, I'd take that week with those llamas. And, mm-hmm. and it's kind of this interaction with them. Where you know, it's like a really good dog. You know, you you take you go out pheasant hunting or duck hunting, and your dog does great. You just you can't get enough of being around that dog. Well, that's how it was with these llamas. I'm like, yeah. they're just kind of purring and they're they're looking at things while they're walking along, and yep. everything's <laughs> going smooth. We see ATVs, no problem. We see other critters on the landscape. No problem. We get back there. We set up our camp. They've been eating the whole, not the whole way in there, but they eat just what's on the landscape. You don't have to bring weed-free hay. Like in most of the West here, if you have horses and you haven't been doing this, people, you're (laughs) supposed to certified (laughs) weed-free hay to keep the invasive weed species away from the West. Uh, But the llamas, they just eat whatever's there. Yep. You know, we had a lot of snow where we were at. Right. Day one, there was so much feed. Day two and three, they had a, and four, they had to work for it because right, of the snow load. to get the snow, yeah. Yep. And uh, they all did just fine. You know, they regu- their body temperatures were fine. They were eating plenty good. And, you know, we tried to put them in spots where there's, you know, a little bit less snow or whatever, but that's kind of part of the maintenance, you know. Yeah. And uh, you saw, I mean, we got to camp and we set up the llama, staked them out. They were way happy. None of them drank water that night. Right. And in three days, seven llamas drank one gallon of water. Granted, so each or total, total, total. total. Yep. In the seven llamas, among them drank one gallon of water. Among them drank one gallon of water, and a lot of that's due to the moisture that they were getting off of the the vegetation, the vegetation because of the rain and snow. But um, typically, I would expect about three or maybe four gallons in three days with that many animals, and yeah. on a hunt like that, if they wow. didn't have the moisture. So, yeah, it was. That's just. It's a game changer. You just don't need to do that. And I tell guys, I say, well, I honestly think that llamas are, you know, take it my bias out. And if you're a backpack hunter and you go into the backcountry and you're camping high in a ridge, yeah. you usually can pack enough water for maybe two days. Right. Food, you know, water, the whole deal. And then you got to go get water. Right. And you got to spend time to go get it, hike down wherever it's at. Yeah. And then you have to purify it in Feels some way yeah. if, if you're going to do that. Yeah. Well, Llamas, you can, with two llamas, you can pack enough water in to last four, if not five days for one guy. 
Wow. So you camp, you camp on that high ridge like the backpack hunter. You hunt for four or five days. You never have to get water. You don't have to filter it. Yeah. You don't have to go get it. Because you brought it in on the Because you brought it in on the llamas. And they'll carry, you know, nine, ten gallons a piece. And then uh, you get a hunt to the last day and then bring your game out. So the backpack hunter now has 20, 25% more hunting time, time than he did before. Right. At least that much more and, time. And then there's the energy that he's... Saves. saves. Right. Or I should, there's female backpack hunters, I should say. Oh, she. there are. Right. He or she. He or she. Yeah. So, so, anyway. So, we leave opening morning. We got, you said, all right, we're bringing Doc and we're bringing Marshall. To with us. Right. And I'm like, those two are going to carry an elk. <laughs> and you're like, oh, yeah. I'm like, all right. So, we go there. Right at daylight, you tie them off, kind of down and behind us a little bit. Yep. Well, where does the elk come in from? Behind us. Behind us. And I'm worried that, well, we're going to be shooting not towards them, but in, that in, direction. in a general direction where a lot of horses I know, if you did that, you'd be looking for them in the next county. Yeah. And uh, the elk comes in, Marcus shoots, and I look over at your two llamas, so if Marcus is shooting at the noon on the clock, the llamas were over at about 10 o'clock. Yeah. And down a little bit underneath us. Mm -hmm. Maybe what, 150 yards away? Yeah. 100 yards away? Yeah, maybe just about 100. Okay. And I look over after Marcus shoots, and the llamas are just sitting there grazing on whatever <laughs> they were. It, it was like they hadn't heard it. They hadn't, and nothing. Yeah. And I'm like, Whoa, they're just deaf as I am. <laughs> <laughs> and with bigger ears. Yeah. But we go over there, we get the llamas, we go up, we find the blood trail, and Marcus's elk is laying there. And your llamas walk up and start sniffing it. No rodeo, no whinnying and carrying on and stomping. Yeah, just silent ninjas ready to pack meat out. Yeah. Tie them off. They sit there the whole time while we're quartering and, and field dressing. We stay there the whole day hoping we're going to get another elk. And that night, those two llamas packed that whole elk back to, back camp. to camp. Yep. That and was amazing. And that was Doc's first pack out. Really? Yep. He acted like he'd been there and like done that before. Done it a thousand times. That's yeah. still amazing me, the llamas. All that stuff, you know, hopping into the trailer, packing out meat. It's amazing that they'll simply just act like veterans, especially if they see another one do it. It's impressive. Really? Mm -hmm. that, a lot of that is follow the leader kind of... Yeah, yeah. Learn If you can do it, I can do it, you know. <laughs> in, in, in the world of Western cowboys, uh, hold my beer and watch it. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so we brought seven of them. Two of them had never been on a, on a trip before. I did not know that. Yeah, I mean, they've been with me and been trained, but never had been on something where it mattered. You know, they yeah. hadn't been on renting trips or outfitted trips. And so for me, it was kind of like a l another level of, uh, okay, we're going to go do this. And my wife's like, why are you doing that? I was like, well, honestly, all the other ones are on rent. This is all we've got. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, we'll see how this goes. You know? uh, I, I expect to get things, but there's still part of you that's a little nervous, you yeah. know, because they haven't proven it to you before. Right. So you can't say that they're trail proven or they're tested, you know, because right. you don't know. 
Yeah. So that was a good test. Well, that, it was impressive. So I, we're doing all this to kind of give you the feeling of what the daily maintenance and everything else is with llamas. So we get them back to camp. We hang the meat far from camp because we're in grizzly country. Mm-hmm. You go and stake them out. And every day we'd move their stakes a little bit so there'd be new feed for them. Yeah. But it was, I I could not believe how low maintenance it was. And then I remember one morning when I get up, it's, you know, we're we're low, we're kind of getting ready and we're running later than I'd like to be, but we're hunting close to camp and it's snowing like crazy. And I look and they're just laying there. And there's these mountains of snow <laughs> on top of them. They look like little snow figurines out there. Yeah. Is their wool that good of insulation that the snow won't melt? I mean, it, it just stacked up on top of them. Stacked up on top of them. Yeah, it's, it's, it is. It's really impressive how it works. Huh. It was and none of them were shivering, you know. They were right. all just hunkered down chewing their cud. Right. And uh, processing that cud helps them stay warm, you know. Oh, really? Yep, keeps their ruminant warm. Huh. So that's the internal furnace. That's the internal furnace, yep. And they can, I I could not believe they were eating pine needles. They were eating bark. They were eating grasses. They were eating aspen leaves. Any place we stopped, they'd look around like, yeah, let me try this. (laughs) 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 And they'd just start chewing away. Start chewing away. I have a friend that I sold llamas to, a real good friend of mine, Thomas Baumeister. In Helena. Yep. Yeah. And uh, he firmly believes that llamas, the kickback for them is all of the variety that they get to eat in the backcountry. Sagebrush and pine cones and needles and bark and aspen and this and willows. He's just like, that's what it is. That's why they like it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, that again, that's different than horses yeah you know horses you better have some grasses or you're bringing in your own weed free hay right which just that is that's a lot to haul in it is and i i i to me to see how i expected this high maintenance operation that's why when i looked in the trailer and i saw seven of them i'm like we're gonna spend all of our time taking (laughs) care of animals and it turned out we spent no time how, care how much time a day do you think that we spent just dealing with the llamas? Well, you you do most of that, so it's hard for me to guess, but I would say 15 minutes a day, moving them, watering them. On the days that they worked hard, you gave them three or four of those little rice pellets. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that was it. That was it. I would say that's very accurate for the morning and the evening care. Yep. You know. Just shy of 10 minutes in the morning and just shy of 10 minutes in the evening. Yeah, it, it was not much. So we are, we're talking about llamas and grizzly bears. How do your llamas, because all these places that we've been talking about are endemic grizzly bear terrain. Not yep. all, I mean, Utah. Most of it. It's not, uh, but we're talking Western Wyoming, Montana, uh, some of Idaho. Idaho. Grizzly bears. How do they handle grizzly bears? Um, that's a good question. I, I get that a lot, and I think that no animal handles a grizzly bear well. Yeah. You know, grizzly bears do what they're going to, whatever they want. Right. They, nobody dictates what they do. <laughs> <laughs> so face-to-face, a lot of them are not going to do good with a grizzly bear. However, 
I think humans with packing with llamas can be proactive yeah. and do what we did. You know, do your bear hangs. And if you're in severe grizzly bear country, let's say the thoroughfare, yeah. you know, having a simple um, electric fence that you get at Murdoch's or Cal Ranch and make, you know, yeah. real cheap and putting that around your tent and, and your llamas when you're gone yeah. is a great way to avoid bears. And then we always bring in a radio you know, battery operated little radio. Yeah. And when we leave camp, we turn that on. Oh, really? And that uh, noise seems to help out a lot. Okay. And then other other than that, I mean, we've had two encounters this year in Yellowstone where bears came into our camp and dug up um, the fire pit that people had left before us. They'd left a bunch oh. of, cooked a bunch of food and bacon and left it in the fire pit. Yeah. And uh, they came in and Yellowstone ended up evacuating us on those outfitted trips, but uh, when the USA evacuated us, it's not like they came and rescued. Rescued, you. They, said, they, get out of they here. They just said, go evacuate, evacuate. Yeah, grab your stuff and get out of here. Exactly. Yeah. Yep, that's exactly what happened. And so the llamas, um, over time, you know, they not that they get used to the bears, but they know when they're in danger and when they're not. Yeah. And these bears came in in the first camp, and the llamas all did their this alarm call. Right. And it's kind of like a loud horse whinny kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have, we were in the Tetons a couple of years ago, and we had one of our guests video a bear that, you know, just imagine this lake. We're camped by it, and there's, you know, trees around half of the lake, like a half circle. And a bear comes out of one side of the lake and sees the llamas, and they all start doing their whinny. And mm-hmm. then he runs all the way across the other side of the lake and runs away. The really? whole time running <laughs> until he got to the timber. And uh, when one llama does that alarm call, then they all are alert and yeah, know what's you, going their on. Their ears yep. are, are such indicators of what they're thinking. What they're thinking. So they're all, ears are pointing forward, their eyes are pointing forward, they're standing nice and tall, neck stretched out, and they're doing this alarm call. So we've got a video of that on the website for people to take a look at. But uh, llamas will almost always let you know when a bear's around. Okay. And when they start doing that alarm call, they feel threatened. Yeah. And so, you know, pay attention. And they've actually, you know, we had, we were at the, we were out on that trip that you were on and Marcus and I were at the lake looking for elk and we yeah. came back and an elk had walked within 10 or 15 feet of one of the llamas. Right. And uh, investigated. That was on the scouting day. That was on the scouting day. Yeah. And it's just like, well, it's a lot of times elk that, are really curious about llamas. Oh, and really? bears are not curious uh-huh. to llamas um, from my experience. In fact, this year in Wyoming, I was at the top of an avalanche chute and there were some dead ca- cows at the bottom of it. The ca- moo cows? Moo like, cows. Okay. Yep. And uh, that a bear was eating on. Oh. And he could see my llamas and I'm on top looking, here's my llamas, here's a bear, 150 yards away. And I'm watching this interaction. And my llamas look at him and keep eating, look at him and keep eating. The bear turns and spins towards the llamas. Boom, alarm call. You know, they start yeah. doing it. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh. I'm going to have to go all the way down this avalanche chute, 20-something hundred feet, yeah. and, you know, discourage this bear from attacking my llamas. And then the bear just runs the other direction as fast as he can. And I was like, oh, you know. <laughs> and I was, on a, I was on the chase of this mule deer, so I was beyond grateful that the llamas pulled their alarm call. I was, yeah. I was waiting. I'm like, you idiot, start doing that, you know. <laughs> Look at him, start doing the alarm call. So I didn't ever, you don't get to see that very often. Right. But seeing the llamas, see the bear, but once the bear turned and faced them, 
they all of a sudden, you know, gave their alarm call. But otherwise, they weren't going to do anything. They weren't yeah. going to say anything. They, you know, huh. <sighs> sometimes they're like your children. They don't do what you want them to do, yeah. you know. But well, worked out. So that's my experiences the, with bears and llamas. They were the most well-behaved children I've ever hunted <laughs> with. Let's put it that way, then, Bo. Okay. But so mule deer. That's. We'll we'll continue to uh, interact or, or interject uh, llama anecdotes here, but uh, Wyoming mule deer. Yeah, you hunted this year. You hunted Idaho mule deer this year. Yep. Bo and it, Montana. And Montana. Bo is like I said earlier, as crazy about mule deer hunting as I am about grouse. Um, maybe crazier. Uh, the the winter of 2016-17 in Idaho, some to some degree, maybe northern Utah, uh, western Wyoming, uh, northwest Montana, was a one in 30, 50 year winter as far as snowfall and yeah, cold. it was. Did you see the effect out there while you were hunting this year? 100%. Really? Yeah. To the point that... I'm very discouraged about, you know, the future. And, you know, I can be, I'm optimistic about some things, but I just really want to know what the game managers and fishing game, what the response is going to be. You to know, these tough numbers. To these tough numbers. You know, what proactive measures are they going to do, if mm-hmm. any. Right. Because uh, it's alarming to me. And it is. In Idaho, I hunted four different units. Uh-huh. You know, game management units and uh man alive, it uh it's bad. Really? It's really bad. Wow. Yeah, it's alarming to me. I'm and to Wait. the point that I'm not gonna even hunt Idaho next year. And you're a resident. Yep, totally take it out of my arsenal. I just refuse to really to go out and harvest a try to harvest a mature mature mule deer when they're more than ever so few and far between. Really? Yeah, absolutely. So that you went to your normal places this year, and a couple like, new ones, and you've been going there for years. You know these better than anybody, and you did not see much for deer. It no, it, like. it was pitiful. Yeah, right. it was it was terrible. Huh. And uh, and Bo's not saying this to try to discourage people yeah, from hunting yeah, his I mean, places, quote unquote, places you hunt, right? Because you've always been very open with information, but I. You're not the first Idaho guy who's told me that this year. And I've talked to some serious Idaho hunters. A couple of them have stumbled into mature bucks and they've shot mature bucks. And that's great. But they've all said the numbers that I saw that I had a chance to look over was really, really obvious that the winter had taken a toll. Yeah. You know, my my brother-in-law and I were on a hunt in... Uh, he harvested, we hunted many, many, many days and found a magnificent mule deer, uh-huh. you know, just shy of 190 inches. Wow. And, uh, you know, one of the most spectacular mule deer that I've seen in Idaho due to horn configuration, but probably would take the token for the best mule deer that I've ever been part of a harvest of in my life. And I, and I attribute that to how many deer we were seeing. We saw four bucks. In all those days? In all those days. Wow. You know, two, three weeks of hunting. Four bucks in this unit, and, uh, you know, they're all very small, and then we found this guy. 
Yeah. And we hunted and hunted. The day that we shot that elk, we hiked 18 miles, or that buck, that we shot buck. 18 miles on the on the feet. Wow. Searching and searching for sign and, and glassing. And it was the last resort. And we finally turned up this buck. And, uh, but it, that buck, I feel like the big bucks are rare. Yeah. But a big buck after a bad winter, you know, in the, in the unit we were hunting was even more rare. Yeah. And so, like, it's a real token of you know, of effort. Yeah. And uh, I just, <clears throat> after, after all the experiences, I just can't believe where the deer herds are at. It's yeah, discouraging, right. you know, huh. if my niece or nephew who hunted this year for elk for the first time and uh, they said, I want to go deer hunting next year, uncle Bo, I was like, no, no, I don't think so. We're not going to, we're not going to partake one. Cause I don't, I don't think we can find you a good mature two mature mule deer. Yeah. And one, I, and two, I guess I don't think we should, you know, take those deer out of the out of the gene pool. We need right. them in a bad, bad way. Right now. Yeah, we'll go hunt uh, antelope or elk or something. You yeah. know, instead. Wow. If you're seeing that, Bo, that tells me at least in this part of Idaho, it was tough. Yeah. And the interesting part for Idaho is, you guys, even this year, if you wanted to, you could have went and bought two tags, two buck tags. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the first one is at a resident price. The second one, you have to pay the non-resident price, correct? Correct. Wow. That's still a lot of exploitation of the resource if it's in tough, tough shape. It is. It is. Huh. You know, but you used to be able to take youth out and harvest a young buck, you know, yeah. which is great. Right. You know, with pretty simple logistics you know you can make it happen in two or three days yeah typically or just a chance right i don't know if you could you could you could promise that anymore really which is not good you know because we need new hunters right yeah that's there's research out there that says when you have crashes of a species that is kind of your core uh introductory or your core species that family traditions are built around that you lose a segment of hunters every time that happens yeah and that would not be good if that is one of the casualties of that hard winter is idaho loses a, you know that window of of people who would have got introduced to deer hunting just because there's so few of them right right huh or they <sighs> they they you know, hate it because they hiked around for so many days, never saw, <laughs> saw one. one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Western Wyoming, you hunted that this year. Was it? Is it was the same. Good. I mean, um, you know, truth be told, I, I found a couple really great bucks and I was lucky enough to harvest one on the few days I had to hunt in Wyoming and the weather was so poor. Yeah. You know, September in Wyoming. So snow just snow and day. snow and yeah. snow and fog. In fact, I had this one buck that I've been chasing all summer, you know, during the scouting season, and I finally found him about ten days into the season. I'm barreled down on this guy and the fog mo- moves in. And I'm like, okay. And then it clears. And then it moves in. And then it clears. And then it gets dark. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Really? And I had to hike out that night. That was it. That was the end of the hunt for me. So you know, for another week or so. Anyway, so the weather was terrible, and uh, the quality of animals that I saw, or quality and quantity, was nowhere near normal. Really? You know, it was not par for the course by any means. Hmm. So that was discouraging um, big time. But the, and the number of hunters 
what exceeded what I'd ever seen before. Really? You know, and hunting and guiding and um, outfitting in this area for many years. Huh. I'd never seen so many hunters. And what I think is happening is people that have a tag are making it more of a, a familiar event. Yeah. So more people are in the backcountry trudging around scouting for the next year when they're hunting with their family for this year. And right. I think that's what I talked to a lot of people at trailheads and stuff that that's what they were doing. Okay. And uh, people that had been hunting this area historically, um, people that had, that I know had shot big bucks didn't even see deer. Really? And so if some of the deer have changed patterns and simply just weren't there. So I'm a guy sitting on maximum deer points in Wyoming. What you're saying is don't burn them in these areas right now. Maybe sit on them for a while or yeah. burn them somewhere else. You know, a friend of mine chased a buck that ended up scoring 239, I think, in seven eights. Wow. And uh, he didn't end up harvesting it. Someone else did. Oh. And so there, people's like, there's still big bucks out there. Yeah. Right? And so holding your points, you know, it's like this, what do I do? You right. know? I think I can still find a big buck, but how hard is it going to be? And I'm all, I'm a statistics guy, right? Yeah. I like to put my <laughs> eggs in the basket. That's a really big basket, you right. know, has really good chances, you know, yeah. hunting mule deer in the rut, better chance you're going to kill a big buck than October 10th. Oh, for sure. So if you have a better hunt, do it. Don't, yeah. don't put in for Wyoming. Well, uh, the, there's some guys I know who are like you, who I always gauge what their observations are before i apply i'm like hey bryce hey bo hey what do you see what did you see last year and if they tell me oh it was really good i pay a lot of attention to those people because <laughs> yeah. i know they're spending 80 to 100 days a year in the backcountry if they say "Ooh, i'd wait a couple of years i'm probably waiting a couple of years yeah yeah huh I keep telling people, I was like, we are in one of the greatest times in my lifetime for elk hunting. We are. It is the good old days. Go hunt elk yeah. in every state possible. <laughs> right now. And rent my llamas, please. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, you were telling me, and so we're snowbound in this tent. We, we had went out and tried to hunt that day, and visibility was about 50 yards, so... That night we get back to camp. We're like, man, if it keeps snowing like this, what are we going to do? And so we get into the topic of you know, hunting and all this stuff. And you've got Marcus so fired up about going elk hunting in one of, <laughs> one of these two states. I'm not going to say which. Where you were searching far and wide for mule deer, not finding many, but... You told him about some remarkable basin where the elk were just going crazy. Year after year. Really? I've never seen a hunter in there. Oh. I'm just like, and I've got all these Wyoming points, and I need to get rid of them so I can go hunt that place, you know? So now you just told people it was in Wyoming. Oh. It, right. it is. Wyoming's amazing. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. It, all right. But it's in a general area, you said. General area. Wow. Marcus is, a, he's a, like, 
I'm I'm gonna just applying in a general area this year. I'm like, well, how, how are you gonna get in there? Well, aren't we gonna get some llamas from Bo? I'm like, well, you might want to break out your pocketbook, buddy. But so no, your point is there's still a lot of great hunting to be had, even in years when the winter hammers them. And you know, we we thought that Montana was gonna have this same effect, but last winter about early January, all of a sudden our winter moderated yeah. and we didn't get any more snow. It opened up. The temperatures were good. I hunted Eastern Montana this year again. And I know people from Montana, especially Eastern Montana, are like Newberg quit talking about this place. But I talk about every place we hunt. You know, it's not like I just pick on one place, but Right now, and this is just to give comparative cycles, Montana has not, have, ha, has not had a really hard winter with the exception of Northwest Montana they have in this period I'm going to talk about. We haven't had a really hard winter since the winter 2010-2011. So we have a lot of four, five, and some six-year-old deer right now. And that's probably how you guys were in Idaho and Wyoming before that yep. hard winter of 1617. Exactly. And I I pay attention to that stuff. So Colorado right now is doing pretty good. They've had some spots that have had some hard winters. Right. Uh, but overall, Colorado, if I'm a mule deer hunter, I'm looking to Colorado. I'm looking to Utah. I'm looking to Nevada. They've had way moderate winters compared to Idaho and Wyoming. And somehow... Montana being further north and a little bit further east escaped that brutal thing. Now, this year in our valley in southwest Montana, we've had winter like you can't believe in <laughs> November. But the last week it got up in the 60s and the snow started retreating up the mountain. So we won't know what Montana winter looks yeah. like. And my worry is we're going to have and we're, we're due for another one of those brutal winters that knock deer numbers down especially the mature buck numbers down by 50 60 percent that's so much and and that's they're they're just susceptible to it because they come out of the rut in tough shape range conditions are not always what you need it to be for them to recover yeah. Maybe, maybe they come into the season in tough condition, then they rut and they're right on the fringe and then you get a bad winter and... Done. Yeah. Yep. So yep. right now, uh, Montana is basking in the benefit of not having had a hard winter, for, hard winter for six years. Now, if we get a killer winter this year, we're going to be in the same boat you guys are in here in Idaho. Yeah. And, not a good um, place to be. No, it's frustrating. Yeah. But I would, and when that happens, I do shift my focus more towards elk. But I, I can tell everybody that I will, barring a terrible winter, I'm going to be back in Eastern Montana next November. Absolutely. Just, so will I. Oh, will you? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Cool. But you're, you need, uh, you need some perspective because you live in like where <laughs> big mule deer grow. I, this, this intersection of Colorado, Utah, Idaho, Wyoming, that is, those are big mule deer. Big mule deer. What you see in Montana, those aren't big mule deer as a general rule. We don't, we have nice mule deer if you hunt hard, but not 
big meal there. Yeah. But we shoot them with a rifle in the rut. I know. So, so fun. <laughs> so fun. <laughs> Doesn't do much for the age class. Uh, you look to the north of us, Alberta and Saskatchewan, shoot record book meal there. You look to the west of us, Idaho, all conditions being the same as Montana, they shoot record book meal there. Yeah. You look to the south of us, Wyoming, same thing. What do all of those places have in common that Montana doesn't? They don't have a general rifle season in November on mule deer. Across most of the state. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the, just there's not much hope for a year and a half, two and a half year old mule deer. No way. On November 15th when a bunch of people are walking around with rifles in hand. You're absolutely but, right. It's crazy, honestly. I keep telling uh, you, I was like, look, Montana one day is going to stop doing this. You better get up there and explain you know, yeah. enjoy this yeah. while it's there. And so when you're cropping off that many of the one and a half, two and a half and three and a half year old bucks, because they're just stupid in November. Yeah. That's less that make it to four or five, six or seven years old. Yeah. And the game managers say, well, guess what? We can't stockpile them because we are a place that has bad winners and that's going to knock them down anyhow. So we may as well let hunters have them along the way. And there's probably some, Truth of that. Truth of that. But I tell people who are coming from places that manage for a more diverse age class by not hunting in the rut, when you get to Montana, you're going to see deer. Just don't expect to see 180-inch deer. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That is like hen's teeth in Montana. Yeah, I've never seen. I've seen one approaching that, but never seen one that big in Montana. And maybe that's part of why I'm not as much of a mule deer crazy as you are. I just, I accept it that... You know, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. Yep. You're going to see deer. You're going to pass up five bucks that look like the one you shot. <laughs> yeah. And you don't know why you shot the one you did, but right. you did. Yeah. <laughs> that's, exa- that's a good way to put it. It's like, oh, I'm getting close to the end of the hunt here. This was a good hunt today. Good stock. I'm going to shoot this one, even though I've seen five others that look just like them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And people ask me, well, Randy, why, where's your whitetail problem come from? Because I've lived in Montana this was my 26th season, I believe. Wow. In Montana. That's good. And I think I've shot in Montana four or five mule deer. I'd have to look on my wall. Every other tag I've filled with white tail. White tail? Yeah. Including this year. Awesome. On public land, I just, I would rather shoot a really, uh, what, relative to everything else is a really nice public land whitetail. This buck I shot this year is probably 130-inch buck. Oh, which, that's great. Yeah, I mean, I don't get into scores, but I would rather do that than to shoot a three-and-a-half-year-old mule deer that I would love to see get to be four-and-a-half or five-and-a-half. I don't have any problem with people who shoot the two-and-a-half or three-and-a-half-year-old mule deer. You know what? If that's your gig, do it. Yeah. But for me, I just get a little more intrigued and excited about uh, I I think the buck I shot this year was probably four and a half or five and a half. I'd rather try shoot a whitetail on public land that's four and a half or five and a half than a two and a half or three and a half year old mule deer. I'm exactly the same land. way. So that's <clears throat> that's kind of my problem uh, or, or explains my problem with whitetails versus mule deer. No, I'm not making judgments sure. one way or the other. I, <laughs> I just love hunting deer, but uh, for me. That, that's how I end up with so many white tails. And I I hope everybody doesn't 
realize how many nice public land whitetail we have in Montana <laughs> because there would be a lot more people hunting them. You Midwestern guys, I I get why you're excited about hunting mule deer in, or hunting whitetail in your home state, and I'm I'm excited about anybody hunting their home state species. Yeah, yeah. But if they found out the whitetail hunting in northern Idaho, in Montana, in eastern Wyoming, and how much public land there really is to hunt those, we'd be overrun with these Midwest whitetail hunters. Yeah. So maybe I should quit talking about it. Yeah, they'd extend extend their season. Their wives would be more divorced in the country. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Bo's going to hold me accountable for the higher divorce rate among whitetail hunters. No. (laughs) My buddy Mark Kenyon, he... uh, he produces the Wired to Hunt podcast. And I've kind of got him pretty well addicted to the Montana Whitetail gig. He he already had the addiction yeah, and was exploring new territory, which I think is so cool. Uh, and if you don't listen to it, listen to Mark's podcast. He's a great guy. Uh, but he's now started doing podcasts about his hunts in Montana. I'm trying to get him to Wyoming. Uh but I don't want him to get divorced either. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The whitetail are, I have been getting a a new fascination with whitetail. Yeah. You know. Yeah, they're getting quite a few of them even here in southeast Montana. You know. Or or southeast Idaho. Yeah, they they are an opportunity species because they rebound far quicker than mule deer. They really do. And when you see, just like when you see a big bull, a big mule deer buck or a big whitetail buck, the feeling for me is like, wow, you know that it took that deer a long time to get that way. Yeah. And that, he, you know, he's special. Yeah. And when you see that, you know, regardless of what the species is, it's pretty remarkable. It is. My heart starts beating the same. Yeah, it does. You know, I told you we almost called you. If we would have had cell coverage, we would have called you to pack out that moose. Oh, I, I would have loved that. You're closer to where we shot that moose in Montana than I am. Really? How, how long would it take you to get there from here? Just shy of two, you know, hour and a half to... Right. So it was, for me, it's like two and a half hours, but I drive slow. <laughs> but, so if we would have had coverage, we're like, we need to call Bo and get him here. How far in was it? It was about a little over a mile. That's plenty far to pack out a moose. Yeah. <laughs> Through that boggy, swampy <laughs> crap. But the reason we thought about you is you said your llamas had never packed a moose. So we thought, oh, we want to we wanna be the, the quote unquote original the original oh, llamas packed the moose with. Um, yeah, I've never but, seen a moose on the ground before. Oh, really? Nope. You know how you, when you've hunted deer all your life and then you see a mature bull elk on the ground, you're like, oh my goodness, yeah. what, what am I going to do here? Yeah. <laughs> a moose is just that next step from an elk, kind of like what a deer step up is to an elk. A yeah. moose is like that same step wow. up. You're like, Oh my goodness! I'm glad there's four of us today. <laughs> yeah. Wow. But one day, what got me thinking about that is when we were there, we saw three whitetail bucks in those willows. Really? That one of them had this really funky, cool, forked-out back G2. Hmm. Like that's an old buck. Hmm. That that's a five and a half year old. That's buck a good sign. Yeah. So. I need to figure out how to go back there next year and find that guy. Oh, yeah. If he survives another winter. That's outstanding. Yeah. Cool. So you live close to some, some good whitetail hunting Yeah. also. You know, most people most people can get to good whitetail 
country pretty easy. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Tags are easier to draw. Yeah. They they can sustain a greater harvest or exploitation than than mule deer can. Yep. And I think as if you want to call it progress, I don't. Uh, as human development, human progress extends further across the landscape. Whitetails are more adaptable than mule deer. Way more so. Yep. Yeah, I mean they can can deal. The the you look at all the things that are affecting mule deer across the West: extended drought, uh, invasive plant species like uh, cheatgrass and knapweed and everything else. Winter range. Yeah. Depletion. Yeah. Uh, human subdivision and development. The um, list goes on and on. Wildfires. White, yeah, wildfire. Pinion juniper. Whitetail are not nearly as impacted by that as are mule deer. And to some degree, elk are even more adaptable than mule deer. Yeah. I, I worry about mule deer. I do too. I, I, I mean, Big we were time. in Nevada doing a sheep hunt last week. And just north of where we did the sheep hunt, when I lived there, I had mule deer tags a couple of years. And you saw a lot of mule deer. I, I didn't know crap about hunting them. I, I just moved there from the Midwest. And I'm like, oh, look at these big mule deer. And they were just, <laughs> you know, two and a half, three and a half year old mule deer. But we didn't see a single mule deer. Really? On that sheep hunt. We found some shed antlers, but we did not hmm. see a deer. And I looked at the landscape. I'm like, well, there never used to be cheatgrass here 30 years ago when I was in a was it, yeah, 30 years ago, I guess. There, the pinion juniper canopy was, it was little pockets. It was not these vast, just, really? you know, brown, green kind of forests, if you want to wow. call it a forest. Now that's there. All the old water sources have been pretty much, well, they're gone because of, yeah, long-term drought, climate change, I don't care what you want to call it. Plus, pinion juniper is just a water hog. So all the surface water that used to be there is hmm. dried up. Cheatgrass, wild horses. There, there are so many things that are affecting mule deer. Uh, you add those combinations and it's like, man, what are we going to do about this? We, we have a species that's not as adaptable. And I think in some respects, in some places, they're probably getting out-competed for what remaining Absolutely. habitat is there. They're getting out-competed by whitetails. And to some place, elk elk are, you know, just spatial distribution. Even though elk are, are grazers and mule deer are browsers, the landscape has changed where it provides more grazing component than it does browsing component and just... You've, as we take more and more of the landscape for human development, it's less for them. those species. And the mule deer are taking it on the chin. They really are. I don't know what we're going to do about that. It makes me nervous. And I know that I'll never see the 1970s yeah. of mule deer. Right. And I'm afraid that my son, who's six months old, he's never going to see the best of what I saw or even close to it. Right. You know, he might not even see a glimmer yeah. when he's 30 years old. So I'm just like, man, we got to take some serious proactive measures if we're going to hold on to it to some degree. Right. I mean, and you think, yeah, we got all these mule deer here and there in this place, but it's uh, it's, it's dying out. It's fragile. Yep. It's very fragile. Yeah. Oh, I wonder if I convinced the whole world 
at least the 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 universe I operate in of Hunt Talk Radio, <laughs> Leupold Hunt Talk Radio. I wonder if we convince them that they should hunt with llamas. You know, I sure hope so because uh, it'd be good for me. But regardless, when people f- look at llamas for the first time, it doesn't take long for the aha moments to start coming. Right. And I think that uh, that's what you're giving people an opportunity yeah. is to open their eyes to say, oh. The, the best thing you did to convince me, you showed up with your llamas at the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers Rendezvous <laughs> in Missoula, Montana. And Thomas came and got me and said, Randy, you got to come and see Bo and Kirsten and their llamas. They have some here. And I walked out and you guys spent a bunch of time explaining everything. And I'm like, well, he hasn't, I've been standing next to this thing for a half hour. He hasn't bit me or spit on me. (laughs) And everyone's coming up and petting them and they're acting just like a well-accustomed dog. You know how some dogs are really socially adapted and some just... Yep. These were like the the dog that wags its tail at everybody. <laughs> oh, come, please pet me. Come, please, please look at me. I'm I'm Marshall the llama. No, I'm Marshall the llama. And uh, that was a moment where I'm like, you know what? I gotta try this. Cool. That was a, that was what two years ago, a year and a half ago, something like that. Anyhow, yeah, two years, I think. Yeah, and uh, so now it's like, okay. <laughs> I don't know if we need to mute the the microphones when we have this discussion. Okay. We'll we'll leave them running. Maybe we'll edit it out. But I really need to figure out how I get llamas for a month. You rent them by the month? Yeah, we rent them by the month. It's hard to do because people, you know, there's so many requests for them. Yeah. But uh, we do rent them by the month, and people usually come pick them up, Uh and they'll have some a housing arrangement, you know, where right. they're going to, when they're not out working, they're going to yeah. keep them at their pasture, their yeah. neighbor's field or something. Because yeah. I have a spare lot that I'm allowed to keep llamas really? or horses or whatever next to my house. I live out outside of Bozeman. Okay. Uh, I, I, I'm seriously thinking about renting, but I'm one of these guys also who, if, if I think I need... Two of something, I buy four. Yeah. <laughs> if I need five of something, I buy eight. I'm the same way. Are you? Yeah. Very so, much so. Uh, no, and we're planning our season this year, Bo. We're, we're speaking for some of your llamas. Cool. Uh, you know where to send the invoice. Perfect. Or I'll give you my credit card, and it's just like, all right, it's got a $35,000 credit limit. <laughs> <laughs> Don't hit it for 35000 but uh, I... Funny. There was... If I think about what it added to the quality of our experience. And that elk hunt was pleasant and easy, it seemed. Even though we hiked in, what, seven miles, something yep. like that. We had terrible weather. Terrible weather. Absolute. I think about how uncomfortable we would have been on that hunt if not for what the llamas could bring of creature comforts. And help us get that elk out of there. That would have been a chore. Such a chore. Plus all of our camp gear, our production gear, that would not have been any fun. It would have taken us a couple extra days. Yeah. And a couple extra days in the slop and snow and cold and miserable. And it wasn't getting better. No, it was getting worse. worse. (laughs) Yeah. And so let's say we had to make an extra trip. 
to just to get so we have to make one trip to get most of our stuff out and then we got to make another trip to get most of that elk out that's an extra 14 15 miles mm-hmm. half of which is with a heavy load was no what if we would have shot a second elk i i, I would have without llamas i would have been like let's get out of here we don't need a second elk let's <laughs> let's just start you know let's Funny. pull stakes now and you're dealing with all the grizzly issues everything else your mind you're not at that point of peace and comfort your mind is fretting and worrying about i'm going to get this out is it going to spoil are we going to get snowed in uh, you know all these things yeah absolutely we're gone. All those worries and frets were gone because of your team of llamas. Yeah. So and you come out with a thirty pound pack and daydreaming about the next one. Yeah, that's it. That's exactly what it is. On the way out, well, how long did it take us to get out? Three hours, four? Just shy of three hours. Yeah. Yeah. It was nothing but a discussion about how we're going to use these llamas <laughs> on the next time, right? Yeah. I was just, hey, Bo, how much would it take to get your llamas to northern Nevada? How about western Colorado? And you're like, oh, well. Uh. So it was a game changer for me. And when I say that it it extends not only the 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 field of view but the length of time of my backcountry hunting life it will you will be so sick of me five years from now Bo. you're gonna be like <laughs> why did i ever get in touch with this newberg guy he is just an annoyance of the highest degree <laughs> but i doubt it so you'll have how many llamas for rent this fall 65 65 and you'll be able to rent them out of utah montana Idaho, Wyoming? Yep. Okay. Exactly. You've got bases in bases all, in all those places. All places. And when do you start renting them? As quick as archery season starts in August? Oh, yeah. I mean, technically we start in uh, May 1st and okay. stop uh, in last day of November. Hmm. You know, typically it's just November no one, 28th. So no, you, you got two days left of November rental. Yeah, nobody. Do you, do you have any out right now? Yeah, we have a few out, but no one. Everyone's pretty much done. Yeah. You know, I take them in December, you know, to a few wild places, but I, no one's ever rented them in December before. Okay. I wouldn't mind taking them somewhere like Arizona in January. In, in January? Yeah. Well, I'd say. Or Wyoming. Yeah, I'd say. Well, yeah, we we, we do have an elk tag we, need, we could fill in Wyoming, so we could do that in January. Uh, but my December, January hunting is going to be for coos deer. That'll be fun. Yeah. And it's, there's no place more than a mile from a road. What's the weather like? 65 degrees. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. You'd have to. That's a vacation. You'd have to shear your llamas just so they wouldn't overheat down there. sweating to death. Yeah. That's cool. Now, I'm, I'm thinking about all the cool places now that we should be looking at. Some backcountry places in Idaho for elk, not deer. Yeah. Uh, Nevada. Oh, man. There, when we were doing that sheep hunt, I'm like, just north of here, up on that big mesa. On the, well, not a mesa. It's a mountain. There's some big bucks in there. Mm-hmm. Need to go there. Oh, yeah. I do the same thing all the time. It drives my wife crazy all winter. Mapping. Yeah. Mapping, yeah. mapping, mapping. <laughs> just because there's no limits. Like, where do you want to go? It doesn't matter. We're going there. I know. Yeah, there's... 
doesn't. There's no water. There's no this. There's no It doesn't matter. We can go anywhere. See that right there. That that is the one sentence that kind of explains the beauty of llamas. We can go anywhere. And for us, when we're carrying all, you saw how much production. Oh yeah, we have. it's a ton. Yeah, and that was kind of leaned out compared to most hunts. Uh, we can now go anywhere. Yeah. That's going to be our new motto. We can go anywhere. <laughs> uh, yeah. We're going to get bumper stickers. Bum- we, can- we can go anywhere, dot, dot, dot. Llama bo- tracks. Bo- baby. <laughs> yeah. Llama tracks across there. Oh, man. Funny. Uh, so how do people get a hold of Wilderness Ridge Trail Llama? People can email me, go to our website. My phone number is 208-270-7749. Text okay, me, call okay. me. All right. Let's say that. See, this I, I end up leaving lots of messages for people, so I always say my phone number really slow. So it's 208-270-7749. That's my phone number. You can text or call me. You if really I don't answer. do that? Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay. I mean, you, I, I always walk people through and take the time to, to yeah. answer all their questions. I know you do. Yeah. And the uh, email is WRTL. B-A-T-Y at gmail.com. Again, it's... Let's say that. So it's like Wilderness Ridge Trail Trail Llamas Beatty. Beatty. B-A-T-Y. At gmail.com. At gmail.com. And what's the website? Our website, you can get there two ways. You can go to rentllamas.com or... Rentllamas, plural. Yep. Rentllamas.com. Or you can go to wildernessridgetraillamas.com. Wildernessridgetraillamas, plural, dot com. Yep. All right. Well, then we have Facebook and Instagram. You can look look yeah. up the company on both of yeah. those. You know the cool thing about your Facebook and Instagram page? There's a lot of pictures of your wife and your son. Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 I, and nothing against Bo. Sure. But it's nice to see the family operation. This it's, is it. You're all in, aren't you, on Lomas? Yeah. You yep. quit this really cool job that you had. Yep. This is all we do now. Yeah. I mean, that that had to been a leap of faith. Super of, leap of faith for me. Because <laughs> for a while, you must have been doing both. both. Yeah. It's not like self-employed people seldom can just say, I'm done with this one and I'm starting that one. It's like you got to work two jobs for four or five years. That's before. exactly what we did. Seven years. Two Seven jobs. years? Yep. Okay. At one time, my wife was working three jobs plus helping with the business and I was working, you know, it was, uh, yeah, well, we sacrificed and worked a lot to get here. Yeah. And... uh it's exciting. I mean, I honestly wake up some days and I can't believe that we're running, just running the llama business, yeah. you know, cool. ranching and farming and packing and hunting and outfitting. It's like what every 12 year old boy dreams of, you know, <laughs> when he opens up the Eastman's magazine, you know, yeah. this is what I want to do. <laughs> so I'm, I feel very, very blessed and hope to help people, you know, take a break from life and reality and kind of get back to some good roots and yeah. Remember who they are in the in the backcountry. Well, you certainly helped us do that. That's for sure. I I I know that Michael and Marcus had the same aha that I had. Marcus already hit me up. He's like, "Hey, I got the spots twelve miles in in Montana. Let's go next." Year. <laughs> Marcus, all right. Quit calling the guy, man. <laughs> or if you're going, dude, you are paying for your own llamas. <laughs> Funny, but I also told you don't sell llamas, dude. 
very seldom, but uh, in about three or four years, we'll start selling a half dozen to a dozen a year. How do I get on your list? Uh, we just simply have a waiting list, and we just like take people's name and how, number. How down. long is the waiting list? I should show you. It's a lengthy list right really? now. Really? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, put me, the, I'm at the bottom. Okay. Once the, I'll work my, it's kind of like a point system, I guess, huh? <laughs> yeah, bonus I'll, points. Yeah, I'll be working my, uh, well, the guys with five points are ahead of me. They're, there's only four tags, so those four guys are gone this year, and I'll work my way up the list. So. Yeah. No, I told Marcus, I'm like, all right, I have the ability where, we could keep them at my house. My buddy Bart, he's got 20 acres. Oh, nice. And he keeps horses there. We could keep them there. But I told Marcus, you got to take them every weekend that I can't take them. We, we, gotta, these, we can't let these llamas be like accountants. Mm-hmm. They got to be ready to go. <laughs> got to be ready to go. We need to keep them at like LeBron James, not like Randy Newbert. <laughs> <laughs> so I told Marcus if if we end up buying llamas, he's he's partly in charge of their conditioning over the summer. What did he say? He was like dancing in the street, man. He was like, <laughs> oh man, yeah, let's do that. Oh, funny. So, but that's cool. So, is there anything we haven't taught the world about llamas and llama hunting? Not llama hunting, hunting with llamas. That sounds bad. Hunting with llamas. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> llama hunting. Oh my goodness. I mean, you're you're more new to. The llama game, and people I'm sure have asking you questions. What's the mm-hmm. the first and second most frequently asked question that you is? Get? How much can they pack, and how much of a headache are they? I think we covered it. We've covered that. They they are not a headache. Uh, I I guess my one caution that I would want people to understand, and I didn't know this other until we went and you did a lot of explaining. But instantly when I walked up to your llamas, I could see they were muscled athletes they were the like you said lebron james i've seen a lot of other llamas they are like man i wonder if you can put 20 pounds on this yeah man this thing is incorrigible it's like there's nothing better than a good hunting dog and there's nothing worse than a bad hunting dog yeah i agree i mean if if you want to have a great hunt go with a great hunting dog but if you want to just ruin your hunt have some not head dog <laughs> that's barking, chasing, won't running. Yeah, that that's annoying. It's like I don't even want a dog. I don't know if llama if it's kind of the same way with llamas. Very much it, so. Uh, so I just want to caution people: don't think that llamas are something you just go by and say, "Oh yeah, I, the the guy down the street was he had a pet llama and he was moving, so I bought it from him, and that that's gonna." be an animal that does what your animals do because you you've you explained to us in camp how many experiments how many llamas you went through trying to find what you have now absolutely there's a lot yeah most people wouldn't do that but i i was crazy i still am (laughs) i went through a lot of llamas to try to figure out what i was doing and what worked and what didn't and why yeah and uh you know some dog at the you know at the kennel just can't go win the field trials right you know, and be a champion bird dog yeah and the same thing for llamas you can't just go pick up a llama at the shelter and expect it to be you know an extreme pack llama yeah it's not going to happen yeah and uh, you might get lucky here and there and find a decent one right you know just like you might find a dog that might be able to retrieve mm-hmm. but uh definitely do your research and not every llama is a pack llama that's right. what I, that's my most frequent saying in all the articles on the website, not every llama is a pack llama because we don't want yeah. people to, you know, have a bad experience. And 
for people that are looking just to kind of intrigue themselves a little more, we tell them to come on overnight clinic where mm-hmm. we do nothing, but we take care of all the meals and we feed them and show them all about the llamas and we pack with them. And then they can, step two would be they rent them, you know, and they just yeah. realize it's a good thing. And then step three, look at purchasing some, yeah. you know. Um, and but, they're, but they're on the purchase list. They're below the list. They're below, I, they're, they're below, they're below where Randy. I am now. Yep. Yeah. So yeah and there's just, other breeders out I there. Just, but. I, just got, I just got on the list. So any of you <laughs> who are calling in, you're on the list below me. Uh, definitely. Okay. I, I'm just so, uh, we, we have a tablet right here. Uh, you know, if I got to fill out some form, something. I like got that. your name and number. I'll put you on for okay. 10 of them. 10. Yeah. That'd be great. It smacks out the credit card. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> let's do it. I, I mean, 10 of them. We, I could send Marcus one direction, Matthew another direction, Michael another direction, yeah. and me a different way. We could produce a lot of cool TV with 10 oh, of them. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But then you'd be afraid we're getting in business with you. I want all males. <laughs> are, are, are males or females? It, um, weren't all the ones we took, weren't they all males? They're all males, yep. And is that by design they pack better and you just don't want to, your females are kind of like the production yeah, cycle. The production line, you know. Yeah. So the females are basically working to have babies, producing okay. milk, and, and the males um, are out working because they can only do their job few months out of the year right and they're are they larger they're typically so just recently i I, i've kind of compiled a study of height and weight and you know all these different dimensions of the animals and my females are typically larger than my males actually and uh so if you take my average female she's going to be bigger than my average male both in height and weight i would have never dreamt that however the males have a better front end. They have more muscling and have better tight end muscling in their chest. And what that means is llamas balance 67% of their body weight on their front legs. So two thirds of their body weight is balanced on their front Front leg. legs. And that's why they have those big long necks, you know, to act as a counterbalance. Oh. And so okay. when you put the weight on their back, not only are they carrying 70% of their body weight, but also the pack on the front legs. And so when going downhill, they've got to have a serious front end to be able to handle all that weight coming down on that front end. Okay. And the males do that better than females. Okay. It's simply by design. Yeah. Uphill, that's not nearly as critical? As no, not, not nearly as critical. Okay. I, I can push my males harder uphill with a heavy load than I can downhill. Okay. And it's because of all that weight going on their shoulders. Yeah. Yep. Huh. Yeah, those, I'd say the questions I always get are, now that people have seen this as well, but, you know, first... How much can they carry, and are they a, a maintenance headache? But then you always get the, oh, well, I had my brother-in-law. You know, he had this one, and it was just a wreck. That <laughs> I would, I, blah, blah. You know, you've heard Absolutely. it. You've heard them all. Um, and I just listened to it. I'm like, yeah, okay. I, obviously, it's kind of like the... You got uh, thick skin. Yeah, you, you bought the dog down at the Kmart parking lot. You know, and you expected it to be field trial champion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you got it uh, down at the, you know, for, uh, on the free classifieds. You know? <laughs> on the free Craigslist. Yeah. If yep. you wanted, get a problem dog, please, you know, and just come get it. Yeah. Well, and then you're frustrated that it's not a world champion bird dog. And that's what happened is, you know, in the 90s, 80s and 90s is people bought these llamas and they tried to take them to the show ring. They tried to use them for wool as a guard animal, as this and that. They tried to use them for, you know, some purpose or maybe lots of purposes and it didn't work. 
And so mm-hmm. they put it online for sale or put in the newspaper and says, pack llama for sale. Oh, so they, even though it wasn't necessarily a pack llama, they yeah. would say pack llama for sale. And so a lot of people got llamas that were quote unquote pack llamas yeah. and then just had horrible experiences. You know, yeah. llamas that couldn't even pack their own weight. And that's how <laughs> I got started. Somebody oh, really? sold me two pack llamas yeah. and they were horrible. <laughs> you know, I mean, they just, I just can't believe it. And the old timer would answer my phone calls after that. I was like, these kids are not pack llamas. I gave you the last 500 bucks I had, mister, you know? Yeah. And uh, so anyway, so that's the experience. It's not every llama's a pack llama. That's that's your tagline. Mine is we can go anywhere. <laughs> you yep. heard it here, folks. We can go anywhere now. Don't tell me your favorite unit thinking uh, some fat accountant like Newberg will never go in there because now... I can go anywhere. It's going to happen. So, Well, Bo, we've uh, kept people a long time. I've kept you a long time. I know you got a life to leave, and uh, I got to get my stuff packed up because I'm rolling out of here for Arizona. Cool. Uh, I'm stopping to pick up a new Nissan Titan truck while I'm here. That's exciting. What yeah. are you going to do with the old one? Uh, Sell it to the it, babies? It, it's nah, it's going to stay here. This is a loaner for a trip. Uh, people know that I drive Nissan Titans. I've bought five of them out of my own pocket. Uh, and the reason I, I drive them is I need something that is this mix of nimble, get around in tight, terrible places that I can almost drive off the lot and treat as a Baja buggy, uh, but yet has enough sauce that it can tow my trailer everywhere I go. And I've tried them all. I've test driven. I've, and the Titan just has come out as that great. The Pro 4X model is that mix of what I need. So mm-hmm. we've been using them in our show forever. Uh, been doing, uh, we've talked about them out on our Hunt Talk forum. And uh, Nissan's PR agency, they're, they're, the PR agency they use for outdoor stuff is based here in Idaho Falls. Really? Yeah. And they're like, uh, you, you interested? We, we got a truck here in town that we've been using for photo shoots. It's identical to what you use. It's the new model. You want to take it on your next trip? I'm like, well, how convenient. I happen to be driving right <laughs> through your town on my way to Arizona. <laughs> Let me grab that thing. So cool. I've got about another hour here of hanging out in Idaho Falls, taking all of my junk. I have so much stuff stacked in that Titan right now. <laughs> and trying to figure out how am I going to get this in this other truck that doesn't have a topper shell. Oh, wow. But my trailer is parked in Pocatello. When we came back from the sheep hunt, yeah. I knew I'd be coming back through here. So I talked to my buddy, Mike, who now lives in Pocatello and said, hey, can I drop my trailer at your house? So I don't have to tow it the extra 260 miles and then back, back. to so it's good to have friends. Yeah, I'll uh, in low places. Uh, yeah, <laughs> he's in high places. Okay. I, he he would say no that offense, about Mike. Me. No yeah. offense. Yeah, he'd say, oh, "I got this friend Randy, and he's in pretty low places." <laughs> like, <laughs> but I, I I warned the the Nissan guys. I'm like, "Hey, I can't assure you what shape this truck will be in when I bring it back in 12 days, because I, to me, trucks are tools." Yeah, I don't baby them. I don't take it easy on them. And, and you can ask all my camera guys. I've offered them to buy my trucks 
at screaming deals. And they're like, Randy, I see what you do to your trucks. No way. I No. So do not buy a used truck from Randy Newberry. <laughs> kind of like the old saying, you never buy a used truck from a rancher or a logger. Oh, yeah. You never buy a used truck from Randy Newberg because got it. I completely hammer them, but these Titans just keep chugging along. They, I have knock knock on some wood here. Yeah, you got twelve uh, days with one. You better like it. Uh. Yeah, I, I've never had a Titan with a mechanical failure. That's impressive. Yeah, really impressive. The places actually. I go, the things I do, I'm always just about always towing a trailer. I've chained up all fours. I've, I mean, I've seen. <laughs> yeah, it's. I take it. To, I've. I, there's a spot in New Mexico in a place I elk on a lot where it just. It was the closest I came to destroying my truck. It says this road is open. I'm driving. I hear some ATVs coming up, and we get kind of looking at each other. They're glass in the same spot I am. I walk over there, and their first question was. How did you get that truck up here? <laughs> well, you see all those marks and scratches and stuff. That's how I got it up yeah. here. So, <laughs> but uh, funny. We'll we'll give it the the once over, I guess, and I'll report back to the crowd. Yeah, guess what? The new model Titan, it works or it doesn't work. And uh, left me stranded. Bo had to come pick us up. Let's hope not. <laughs> if that happens. Uh, I don't think that'll happen. Let's put it that way. Oh, they're great tricks. Yeah. So that's what I, I'm doing in my next hour here. So I'm going to have to get off the off the microphone just like you do. You you got life to leave. You you got llamas to take care of. Yep. And uh, I better let you to it. Sounds good. I can't thank Thanks, you Randy. Both for, for coming on that trip with us. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's my for pleasure. For teaching me so much about llamas, about their history, about just the nuances of what is a pack llama and not a pack llama. And for uh, all you do for being an ambassador for, for hunting, I, you get exposed to a lot of people that, and in a context that is a lot more intimate than a Facebook debate. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm grateful that someone like you is out there talking to these people and showing them the landscape, showing them these amazing places through the lens of a hunter. Yeah. That's helpful to our cause in a great way. Well, I'll do it as long as I can. (laughs) I really enjoy it. Uh, And for you folks, uh, thanks so much for listening. Uh, Hope you'll uh, continue to listen. Hope you'll share this podcast. Hope you'll join our Hunt Talk Forum. And I hope that you'll go out to our, our videos that we talked about here in this podcast. All these llama videos of that hunt are out on our YouTube channel, Randy yep. Newberg Hunter. And uh, we just sent the footage to the editor. And it's going to be out on our uh, Amazon video platform soon. Cool. In January, it's going to be a really long story. You know how in TV we get compressed to these 20, 22-minute stories with commercial breaks? Not this one. Really? I bet you this episode is going to be somewhere between 40 and 60 minutes of just nonstop, no break in the story. Wow. Because there's no commercials. That's outstanding. Yeah. So it'll be interesting. This is going to be our first year of putting stuff out on our Amazon platform that's longer content 
and no commercial breaks. It always frustrated me. We'd just be getting to a good part of the story, and then the network says, well, you got to have a commercial break <laughs> at this point. <laughs> so you end up almost having to build your story around these commercials. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I'm done with that. Cool. I, I, that's these new platforms allow us to do it differently. So. But, Just like llamas, do whatever you want. Yeah, I, we can go anywhere. Yeah. Now, there's <laughs> Randy Newberg's other motto is we can tell any story. Yeah, we can tell any story. <laughs> well, folks, thanks for listening. Again, Wilderness Ridge Trail Llamas, get a hold of Bo. Uh, I can assure you it's going to open your eyes to new places and new ideas about hunting that you had not thought of before now. So. Thanks so much, Bo. Appreciate it. Thank you, Randy. Thank you, guys. Yeah. And thanks for listening, folks. We'll, uh, let's see. I'm going on an Arizona elk hunt. We'll we'll report about this Arizona elk hunt uh, when we get done with that. That should be another good podcast. Oh, yeah. Hopefully it's not the weather forecast I looked. Wind mixed with rain and snow every day we're there. Winds 20 to 35 miles an hour. That is not good. So. Oh, even room service is coming to kick me out. I better go. Thanks, folks. Thanks for listening.